if you go watch Carson Beck, and I'm sure you, you've already seen enough of him, Greg, like he's bigger, he's stronger, he's got a better, he's got, he's, he's got, he throws a better ball, he's got a, a better strength than, than Stetson Bennett. So I think immediately people are going to be like, oh my God, you just said he's better than Stetson Bennett. He's got more talent than Stetson Bennett. But what we saw with Stetson Bennett was he had onions for days, and that dude never blinked. And strong stuff from our guy right there, David Pollock, coming out of the gates, swinging about Stetson Bennett against Carson Beck and how that thing might unfold there in Athens, Georgia. I'm Greg McElroy. Thanks for joining us here on Always College Football. We have a terrific show. It's our SEC preview today with David Pollock. We look forward to hearing David's interpretation of what's going on in Athens. What does he think about what's going on in Tuscaloosa, Baton Rouge, College Station? Knoxville, all over the Southeastern Conference, we're going to bounce it around. Plus, there's a few, I don't want to say there's some hot takes in there, but there's some hot takes in there. You got to check it out here in just a minute. I want to continue to tell you how much we appreciate all of you that have left us reviews in the last couple of days, man. It means so much to us, man. We love doing this. We love bringing you college football content around the clock. We love to bring it to you every single week. There is no off-season here on Always College Football, hence the name, Always College Football. And we see all of you guys reviewing. Chad J.M., Sutton Turner, Jay Dennis, Jordan Ute, The Whale Speaks, Ron in Pensacola, Washed Up Athlete. Aren't we all? Like, I feel like I peaked at like 16 and my athleticism has dwindled over the last 19 years, that's for sure. Ryan Coyle, 35, and Chow, 4836. We appreciate all those reviews. We saw those. We read those. It means a lot to us. Continue please to rate the podcast wherever you get the podcast. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you get the podcast. And if you could, leave us a review on there as well. It is game week, ladies and gentlemen. We have games coming up this weekend, week zero. So stick with us here at Always College Football. We will break down those games, break down those teams, give you a few things. Even though the matchups aren't great, we'll give you a few things to watch a little later in the week with some of the teams that will be on the field here in some week zero action. So let's not waste any additional time. It's our SEC preview with David Pollock. Host of the Family Goals podcast. He's David Pollock, one of my favorites in the entire industry. Had to have him on to help us break down the SEC, especially knowing where in the red and black, like he always does, where his team currently resides, which he's been outspoken about it there at the top of the college football world. Davey, what's up, buddy? What up, big dog? Yes, uh, that, that was my last. Uh, that was my last on-air performance. <laughs> was with uh, well, was with Nick Nick at the Natty. So it was bold. I'm not gonna lie. It was bold. It was a bold strategy to go right at Coach Saban and say they're at the top of college football world. But hey, it's it's all good. And honestly, it's hard to push back on. They won two in a row. Uh, they come into this year as the heavy favorites to repeat as the national champion and the SEC champion, but. How does Georgia ultimately get the job done and do what's never been done before, winning three consecutive national championships here in the modern day? Well, I mean, it's going to start at quarterback, right? Like you're going to have to, you're going to have to have an elite quarterback. And, and here's the thing with Carson Beck. Like if you go watch Carson Beck, and I'm sure you, you've already seen enough of him, Greg, like he's bigger, he's stronger. He's got a better, he's got, he's, he's got, he throws a better ball. He's got a, a better strength than, than Stetson Bennett. So I think immediately people are going to be like, oh, my God, you just said he's better than Stetson Bennett. He's got more talent than Stetson Bennett. But what we saw with Stetson Bennett was he had onions 
for days. And that dude never blinked. Like he didn't, he didn't bat an eye. Like I could tell you so many stories that would absolutely get you laughing your head off about like Stetson beat to, he beats to his own drummer and like he kind of did his own thing a lot of times and bucked the system and, and but he just but he also made plays and and he just he had the ultimate belief in himself. So listen, they lost a bunch of guys in the NFL just like they did the year before. The schedule's ex- extremely favorable. Um, you got a bunch of guys back that are impact players just like you did the year before. Um, the offense, I think, is set up in a really good spot because you have one of the best tight ends to ever play the game of football. So you can build everything you want around that spot, which makes it um, extremely easy. But, you know, Mike Bobo comes in and you, you have a new offensive coordinator. What does that look like? Um, with a new quarterback, I think, is definitely something that you question a little bit. But you don't question the culture. You don't question – um, what Georgia's been able to build and how they've built it. You go out there at practice, Greg, and you're just like, who's that freak? Like, who's – who's? <laughs> God, that guy looks good. Oh, he's a freshman? Oh, he, he looks good. I mean, so I think that um, you can – just like tight end, you, you go to tight end, Lucky. Lucky's going to be a new tight end for them, and, and I, can, I can just tell you, like, he's going to be an absolute freak. Like, and you're going to be like, God, Georgia has another 12 personnel, personnel tight end that's amazing? Yeah, I, I mean, so the, the dudes are there – the coaching obviously is there. Um, the complacency is, is going to be there too, but the schedule sets up obviously pretty dang nicely. Well, you referenced Lawson Lucky to compliment Brock Bowers. We know that's going to be dynamic. I love the additions that they made in the portal. I think Lovett's going to be awesome. Still a little one, still kind of wondering how Ra Ra Thomas is going to fit in, but I know they're going to be great with Ladd. I know they're going to be really good on the perimeter. That doesn't concern me. Running back depth, a little bit of a question mark. And then the other thing I'm a little bit worried about is Carson Beck, one thing that Stetson did a great job of is the play was never over. And it, it's he always seemed to make that off schedule. And, and maybe he'd turn what would be a six-yard loss into an eight-yard gain by just somehow houdinying, houdinying out of a tackle and then falling forward for a first-down conversion. So can Carson Beck make the off-schedule plays that Stetson did that made them so difficult to defend the last couple of years? But, and he doesn't run like Stetson. That, there ain't no doubt about that. Um, but he is can he mobile. run at all? I, I, I really don't know. I, he can I've run, seen I, him in, a, he, in an A-day or a G-day game setting where it's really kind of controlled. I haven't seen the athleticism, but is it in there? Uh, it, it ain't in there like Stetson. Um, it, I, I bet you he's probably like a 4'9 guy, like a, a 4'8 guy maybe. Like he, he, can, he can get out of it, but it's de- it, it, playmaking is definitely not his thing. His, his release is quick. His brain is good. I remember talking, um, you know, Kirby's son played in our youth league football organization that we have here in Athens. And, and I just remember talking when JT was take, was the starter a couple of years ago before they won the first natty. And he was like, dude, this Carson Beck kid, I love him. Like, I love his makeup. I love what he's yeah. about. I love the way he prepares. So I don't think he's, he's going to be um, – I know he's not going to be the scrambler, but I think he's going to know where to go with the football really, really well, along with – again – Greg, this offense is so easy to play in because of Brock Bowers. Like, it's yeah. very simple. This is not – you walk up to the line of scrimmage and you can be like, okay, do you want to put a nickel on that guy? Okay, we'll run the football. Like, it's the easiest <laughs> system in the world because Brock is such the ultimate chess piece. So, I think I think he'll make it easy with Ladd and all the experience with the other guys you're talking about adding. Arian Smith is going to – if he can stay healthy this year, you saw him in the Ohio State game. You saw him yeah. in the Natty. Like, he's a guy that's just – Stupid, stupid speed that can change the game. So all the pieces I think are there. I don't think Carson Beck has to be 
sensational or be extra, extra, extra special. I think he can play within that system and do great. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you on the offense. Defensively, there are more questions to me on defense than there have been. Uh, mostly on the internal part of the defensive line, because you think about the last couple of years, man, whether it's Jalen Carter, Jordan Davis, uh, you know, I mean, gosh, they had 10 guys that felt like a D tackle that could impact the game. Now, I like Nazir Stackhouse. I like Zion Logue. I think they're good players. I just don't know if they're Jalen Carter on the upside. So what about the internal part of that defense has you feeling really good about that group collectively? Well, you got Monday back um, and you got your backers back, which I think helps. I do, I do think this defense will be built a little bit different. Um, I think when you saw this defense in the past, I think they could really get a lot of pressure from the interior. I think Michael Williams and company are going to be better on the outside. I think they'll have better pass yeah. rushers on the outside. I think they've recruited different types of body types now that will fit in interesting, that will be fun to watch it morph and change. But, but you're absolutely right. But, but you know what? When I go and I see these guys at practice and when I really look at them, there's so many good-looking bodies and there's yeah. so many guys that they can rotate. While they're not going to be Jalen Carter, and listen, another thing, Bear Alexander left to USC. You right, know, he got right. who, who when you turn on the tape, you could see the flashes and the pass rush ability was really, really good. Um, but a guy you mentioned like Stackhouse is a great guy to mention. He's like a three-star, four-star guy, you know, four-star guy that got recruited that you've seen develop. When I go and I watch those defensive guys along the front, they're all like that. I think they're, they're all guys that have now been seasoned for several years. There's very few puppies that are going to play. A lot of guys with a lot of experience that I think will come in. And, and we know the system's really, really good. Um, I, I think the thing that's made Kirby a little bit different from Nick, you know, the past several years and when he started his own thing is I don't think Kirby's near as aggressive as Nick. I think he wants to be, I think he wants to be aggressive, but I think he's okay giving up more yards than he used to be. And, like, let's make him kick three in the red zone. Let's be not as aggressive probably across the field. Like, Nick, it always felt like, Nick, if he gets you in third and long, like, he wants to kill you. He wants to he wants to sack you, blitz you, force a turnover, you know, over the years. Now, listen, this, the systems have changed over the years, too. But I feel like Kirby is is okay, and he's morphed a little bit and giving up yards. And I think this system, it won't be near as dominant as it has been because those guys have feasted in the inside and made life easy for – for everybody in the back end. And now that'll be the interesting part with this defense in the back end now when if the front end isn't as good. No, they're the odds-on favorite to win the East, and it should come as no surprise. Moving over to the West, uh, Alabama, I really like them this year. I, I think that they have the right culture, the right mentality. There's a collective chip on the shoulder. I think the offensive line is going to be a remarkable strength in the run game. I think Jam Miller's got a chance to be a superstar at running back to complement the other guys that are also very good. Wide receiver, maybe a bit of a work in progress. And then quarterback, that's what everyone seems to be talking about. I, for one, though, think that if they lean more on their defense, lean more on their run game, they're going to have to put less on the quarterback's shoulders. So how can Alabama regain what they had 10 years ago, maybe that murder ball, as opposed to a little bit more spread, a little bit more airing it out the last couple of years? Well, it's kind of crazy because, you know, like Nick did that and changed his whole philosophy and who he was and what he was. And then goes on, obviously, and has tremendous success. Kirby's getting murdered the last, you know, five, the first couple of years of his tenure. You got to open it up. You got to be, you got to be successful in the passing game. Is Nick going to go back into the shell and and play that kind of ball? Like, I, I just, I don't know, man. I, I think ball has changed so much. I don't think you can. Like, I just, and I'm a defensive guy. I would love to tell you, like, you can win with defense and you can win with the run game. I don't think so. But I tell you what. 
after watching Tommy Reese the last couple of years, I love that cat. Like, yeah. I think he is really, really good. I think he brings an edge and a mentality to him. Like, that dude don't play around. Like, he ain't messing around. <laughs> He's got a cool demeanor. Like, I love the way he – the pre-step motion. The, the runs he did last year, if you go watch Notre Dame's offense, most of them started downhill. Like, they start downhill. You think about Milrow and that offense and what he could do with his unbelievable freakish running ability. Um, now, listen – after seeing what you said about you didn't think he'd necessarily be the guy, I don't think he'll be the guy then because I 100% am going to go with what you say on that. Um, but I, I just I have I find it hard to believe that that's what what Nick will go back to. But Reese will does a great job of pre snap motion and flooding zones, unbelievable job of just understanding what defenses are in and using it against them. Um, so I, I think he'll do a great job coaching. But I'm I'm so interested with Alabama because you know. I'm really curious. It sounds like you're, you're going to be really high on him. I'm curious if last year was a blip or we're going to see him back in the playoffs. And I, I just, you know, you talk about the offensive line. I was disappointed in their offensive line a year ago. I, I didn't yeah. think they were very good. Like, we didn't punch anybody in the mouth. We didn't push very many people around. Like, that offense last year, it was like and, – and people didn't understand how good Bryce Young was because he carried that offense at times. I, I was so disappointed in the structure. I was so disappointed in kind of – what they were and who they are, I think Reese will do a better job of them staying on schedule, them understanding what they are, them understanding using their strengths. But, man, I find it hard, Greg, to believe that Nick's going to go, now Now we're going to dial it back to my old me. And we've had so much success, but, but if he does, it'll be interesting. But Milro, to me, like just his ability to freakishly run, at least that starts your offense in a place where you know I'm going to get this and then you can work, you know, other guys in and, and continue to grow. I think Milrow, as of right now, is is in the top spot. Will he will he continue to hold it? Is the question. I think the other guys, assuming there would be a jump, there hasn't been one at least throughout the first few weeks of fall camp. The jump that's been made has been made by Dylan Vonnegut, a true freshman who has a ton of potential, but is still prone at this point of his development to a big mistake, which is to be expected. True freshman starting. You're going to have some great moments. You're going to have some bad moments. That's just the way things are. It doesn't matter what the position is. What about LSU as we transition to a roster that feels ready, Davey? Like I look at, at the quarterback situation, really good. Receiver, excellent. Offensive line, maybe the best in the SEC. Uh, running back by committee, maybe not a bell cow right now, but still a really talented group from top to bottom, even though it goes five deep. Defensively, maybe the best two defensive players in the SEC, you can make a case. If Mason Smith's 100% healthy, he's probably the best defensive tackle in the league. And then if you have Harold Perkins, and he's Friday, Harold more Perkins. advanced, he's he's a game changer. He's a complete eraser. If they can figure out the back end, they should be in good shape. So as you look at the West right now and you look at Bama and you look at LSU, which way do you lean? Well, the, the thing that you, you didn't point out yet with, with, with LSU, because I cut you off probably, but like you also got three transfer quarterbacks or cornerbacks. So yeah. what are you what are you going to get in the secondary? You know, we're so used to them being, you know, DBU or in that conversation of being DBU. Um, so I, I kinda, I'm wondering about their back end with all the transfers that they have come in, how they are. But Harold Perkins Jr., like, not, I, I could put together a great <laughs> tape of, of, of running right at him, by the way, because that's what I would have done. I'd have ran right at him because he wasn't overly physical. He's an undersized guy. But that sucker rushing the QB, good gosh. If, and listen, Forget it might it. be the number, <laughs> but if he don't give you Von, Be Von Miller vibes, I don't know who does. I mean, he gives you the ghost <laughs> rush. He gives you the speed. Like, 
He plays really, really hard. And now, and he was a true freshman. Like him a year later in the system with his body being built up. Uh, but Jaden Daniels, man, I remember watching the first game with you and Tess last year. And I remember thinking, he ain't got a clue how to play quarterback. Like he did not know how to sit in the pocket and go through progressions and really make you pay. And you know, all these weapons on the outside, all this speed. And I'm like, dude, if you would just be patient and go through it. End of the season, you started to see that. Less scrambling yeah. for life. He started to have a better feel for the game. Started to make more plays down the field. Like, if, if that guy takes the next – and listen, he's second on the Heisman list as favorite. So that gives you an idea because he, he had 800 yards scrambling. You know, he's going he's gonna to do a lot of damage with his feet. Um, if they take that next leap, you know, at, if he takes that next leap and, and, fin and finishes where he starts off, I think LSU would be the team – in the West that I would probably be most scared of. Um, because again, last year was the first year of building something special. Now you get to add a recruiting class on top of it. You got a ton of guys returning. I think you got some upper echelon talent that you know exactly what they are. You got a quarterback spot that's solidified. Um, I might, that's why I might lean towards LSU over Alabama. But it's interesting to me, the most talented teams in the country, Bama, Georgia, Ohio State, all with new quarterbacks, you know, at this point, I'll give you a little bit of pause of where you think they'll be. Yeah, it's understandable. It's just such an important position. And you referenced, I mean, Harold Perkins, I think he's a freak. I mean, he his flexibility, I think Jane Daniels was a one-to-run guy early in his season last year, but he got better and more comfortable and played really well down the stretch, especially developing that rapport with Malik Neighbors and company. I, I do think that there are a couple of wild cards in the SEC this year. I think AM's a wild card. I, I think their roster is really good. I think they got rid of some guys that they didn't need. And they now are probably going to have a better culture moving forward with all the young players that had to play last year. I think Tennessee, even though a lot of Tennessee fans say we're there, I, I still think the gap between them and Georgia is significant, but they're remarkably dangerous. If if Joe Milton can become the guy he's got the talent to become, then there's no telling what they could be. Is there a more talented be. guy than Joe Milton in the country? As far as just – like people, people really have – and you said it earlier – People have a hard time understanding there's a difference between having talent and being good. Like there are yeah. a lot of guys that have unbelievable arm talent, but they can't play. But Joe Milton has unbelievable arm talent and we've seen him play poorly, but now it feels like he's on the backside of that progression, has gotten more mature, has a better understanding of what they're trying to be. So I'm really optimistic, but it's still, you got to go out there and you got to prove it now. I mean, there's a guy well, that's lost his I, starting job twice. So I, I don't, well, I mean, and, I think that there's something to take into account there. And, and I had somebody say that to me the other day. Somebody said, well, he transferred for a reason. And I, tr I don't trust people necessarily that transfer. And I said, so did Joe Hinder Burrow Hooker. transferred, Baker Mayfield transferred. Yeah, I said, like, there's I, I said, a so lot of good did, examples of so guys did, that transferred. So did Hinder Hooker in that same system, which it took him a little bit of time. But you saw last year down the stretch, you saw some great moments from Joe Milton and you see the yeah. unbelievable arm strength. But losing right at tackle – his right tackle, that guy was one Big of the one. best tackle that I saw. And I think people underestimated how good that cat was. So to me, the offensive line, will they be near as good as they were a year ago without him? I don't think there's any way that they will be. And another thing, too, Tennessee's defense, I keep seeing everything in the preseason. They're all returning. You know, most of those guys are back. I didn't really think they were that good. So, they're, sure, there's a lot of returning starters, Greg, and a lot of returning experience. I never, I didn't see a lot from their defense that I went, mm, look at, look at the flashes on that guy. Look at, I just, I think that, I think they're a decent unit that has to play a certain type of way to, to fit on their, with their offense and how fast their offense plays. But, um, 
But AM, I, I I can't I can't trust AM. Just the way that the way that you've got the way the culture was so bad, when you literally bring in all those five stars and all those guys that have such a great class and your culture can't accept it, that says something about your culture. When you bring in uh, Bobby Petrino and you still can't announce whether he's calling plays like already. I mean, there's already that little dynamic that I just I don't I, I don't trust A&M. Like I know they're going to have talent and their back end in defense, I think, is going to be really, really good. And they were a year ago. Um, and to play as good as defense as they did a year ago with with as bad as offense as they had um, is is pretty is pretty impressive. But I don't know. I don't trust the offense and and the structure and what they are until you show me, and especially with the culture. I think it's totally fair. I'll get you out of here with this last question: Is there a dark horse? Is it Ole Miss? Is it South Carolina? If Spencer Rattler plays his tail off, uh, is Florida dangerous? Is Auburn dangerous? Is there a team? Is Kentucky one of those teams that can maybe play with anybody outside of Georgia and Alabama? And when you look at at just the rest of the landscape, excluding the teams we've already talked about, is there one that you're paying close attention to? I don't. I don't have a good one for you. I, I really don't. I, I don't. You know, Florida, I'm very curious to watch and see this year, but I don't think it's going to go great. I don't think they're going to make a big a leap from year one to year two. Um, I don't I don't see it with I don't see I don't see a lot of good in the SEC, Greg. I mean, I really don't see a lot of I don't see a lot of I think Spencer Rattler obviously has shown you flashes, but my goodness, he's also shown us enough to me to say I don't trust him. I mean, to know that he might throw a couple of dimes and you go, woohoo, and then you go, then you throw one, you're like, what the heck was that, dude? Like, what are we doing? Um, but I, I think outside of Tennessee, I think Tennessee with their offense and their and their their ability to throw the football deep and stretch you and the way they run it, like they're gonna cause people some problems. Like they're they're gonna be annoying. But I don't see another team, you know, LSU, Georgia, and Alabama sure appear to be pretty much a cutoff above everybody else, and, and it seems by a wide, wide margin. Well, he's David Pollock, man. We love you. We appreciate you so much. Everyone, I encourage everybody to check out Family Goals podcast. You get to really kind of, we know that he's a great football analyst. We get that, but we get to know the person that David Pollock is. He's one of the best people I know. I really do. I, I mean that. He's a heck of a peewee football coach as well. Put him in the Whoa, Hall of Fame. Go, he's not quite, he's not quite three year letterman, but he's on his way. Like you're, <laughs> you're well on your way, my friend. That's for sure. Appreciate that, brother. Right. Thank you, Thanks, my man. Bro. As always, we appreciate you guys reaching out both on social media at Always CFB. A couple of our questions the last couple episodes have come by way of our social media, Always CFB on Instagram and Twitter. You can also hit me up at Greg McElroy on Instagram and Twitter. Or you can email the show at alwayscollegefootball at gmail.com. Coops, where are we going today? All right, this one comes from Twitter from Michaela. What if the remaining Pac-12 schools, Big 12, and the ACC allied and redistributed to form three stable conferences that negotiated as one? Well, I, I'm going to actually pull because your tweet was interesting. So I'm going to pull and put up the picture for those that are listening via the podcast. Basically, Michaela lined out the Pac-9, which included Oregon State, Washington State, Utah, BYU, Colorado, Arizona, Arizona State, Cal, and Stanford. And the Big 12 was Houston, Baylor, SMU, TCU, Texas Tech, Oklahoma State, Kansas, Kansas State, and Iowa State. So the Big 12 would actually be the Big 9, if you will. So you have the Pac-9 and the Big 9. And then the ACC is actually 18 schools here on this map. Uh, basically, the ACC as we know it, but you're also adding Cincinnati, 
UConn, UCF. Here's the and and West Virginia, excuse me. So basically, the 14 ACC schools that currently exist, plus adding the additional four from the Big 12 right now. I understand the thought process. What if they collectively bargained together their television rights? I don't see why this would be advantageous because you're basically breaking up right now. You're basically breaking up the Big 12. The Big 12 would be going sending four to the ACC and four to the Pac-12 or five to the Pac-12, which wouldn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Like the Big 12's rolling right now. Brett Yormark just landed a really nice deal, $30 million a year per school. Then you have the ACC, which is already tied up for the next 12 years. And the Pac-9, which I don't know why they would all of a sudden get five schools from the Big 12. But either way, it's a good thought as far as the geography is concerned. But it doesn't make a lot of sense, I think, from a business standpoint to do this right now because Brett Yormark's not going to all of a sudden give up control of 10 of his teams. I just don't envision that happening. So all things considered, good thought, makes sense. Appreciate the map and the time that you put into sending the question, but I don't see it as a realistic scenario down the road. All right, fair enough. Next one's from Joe in New Jersey. Which non-Power 5 schools not named Tulane might be worth following this season? Well, let's start with a few, and I, I picked out a handful for you, okay? I think there's a lot of really good G5 programs this year, a lot. And I've always kind of looked like, for instance, Cincinnati last year was ranked in the top 25 in the preseason. It's hard to pinpoint with the portal and with the turnover on the rosters exactly where a lot of these teams might end up. That's why I think as we move forward, the G5 champion, if you will, that gets the New Year's Six invitation is going to be more and more difficult to predict because some of the best bets in the last handful of years, the UCFs, the Cincinnati's, the Houston's, the BYU's, they now are no longer in the G5. So I looked at some of the other programs that I really like this year. Let's start with Troy. I think the offense has a chance to be a little bit better. The defense might regress just a little bit. But when you look at where they're at in the Sun Belt, they don't have Appalachian State, they don't have Marshall, and they don't have Coastal Carolina. Now, the conference is really difficult, and you still got to play against some quality teams. But when you look at where Troy's at right now, I think some of the experience that returns and the culture that was established last year makes me feel pretty confident that they have a chance, a chance to repeat in a position where they win maybe double-digit games. Another team out of the Sun Belt, I like South Alabama quite a bit. Kane Womack did a really good job last year. Uh, they really had never had a winning season as an FBS member, but they had 10 wins last year. I think Kane Womack's a really, really good coach, has a great understanding of how to make life difficult for the opposing quarterback. He's, of course, a defensive mind, makes it really difficult for the opposing quarterback, and... I think when you look at where they're at, they bring back enough. Carter Bradley, I think, is pretty dang solid at the quarterback spot. And while I think they kind of got by and won a lot of close games, I think that could potentially continue. Boise State will be a team that we break down a little bit more at some point next week leading into week one because they have a very intriguing game against Washington in week one. But that would be a team that I'd keep in mind. Now, remember, this was a team that is basically picked by just about everybody to win the Mountain West. It shouldn't come as much of a surprise as one of the best programs in America. I would anticipate much of the same from the Broncos. Toledo 
would be a team probably out of the MAC right now that I would probably lean towards. MAC's a little difficult to predict, but when you look at what they have coming back, um, they went seven and five last year. Okay. So they have a target on their back naturally, but they also have a chance to maybe make some noise against Illinois, a team that I like, but has to replace some key pieces. They'll play against them early on. So when you look at what Toledo could do, I think they could get around eight, maybe nine wins this year if they can improve in some aspects. And then finally, a team that I'm really, really high on this year is Western Kentucky. I think this is a they return Austin Reed through for 4,700 yards last year, 40 touchdowns in his first time playing at this level of football. He decided to come back, thought about going in the portal, you know, danced around that possibility of maybe leaving, going and playing at a different place. Ultimately, when you look at where they're at, I think this team could win 10 games. And they're favored in every single game, uh, with the exception of just a couple. So I, I think when you look at Western Kentucky, if their offense can continue to play at a high level and the defense progresses just a hair, they could be a team that could be problematic. All right, and finally, in the most always college football question so far, you know the season's close when John in Boulder asks, what's the forecast for the service academies this season? Will Air Force, Army, Navy have better seasons than last year, or is it a down year? Which schools will make it to a bowl? Well, you look at Army, let's start with them. They were really close to having a pretty good year last year. I mean, you lose to UT San Antonio, who we all know is an excellent team in overtime. You lose to Coastal Carolina by four. They barely lost to Troy. So this was a team that was all pretty dang good last year, and they almost beat them. And you look at the opportunities that Army has sitting right in front of them. As an independent, naturally, you can schedule however you want to schedule. You get an opportunity against Syracuse. You get an opportunity against Boston College. You get an opportunity against LSU. You also get to play against UTSA, Troy, and Coastal Carolina again. So when you look at, at Troy's or excuse me, at Army's opportunity to make a little noise, they could possibly do it. So I think they, yeah, they won six games last year, but are they going to be able to do it now in this upcoming year? A little bit of a question mark there. I think they'll be right on the fringe of possibly going bowling. It's crazy to think that Navy, for the first time since 2001, Ken Niamatololo will not be associated with the Navy sideline. You know, he'd been the head coach since 2007. Uh, and then he was of course the OC prior to that, starting back in 2002, that was under Paul Johnson. So, uh, he decided to, to shut it down. And now Brian Newberry, who's the defensive coordinator, he's going to take over the program. We know the offense is, is still going to be the offense. <laughs> you go out, they get Kennesaw state's offensive coordinator, Grant Chestnut. And I think, he's probably going to be a guy that's going to want to hammer the football the way he's always done it. I'm not sure that that's a huge surprise. Now, the AAC is a difficult league, but I do think the league is somewhat more manageable this year. I think, like Army, Navy's going to be right on the fringe of bowl eligibility. I think they could get up to six and a half, or six, six and a half, seven wins. But man, it's hard to envision right now. Just a lot of turnover. And then on the other end of the spectrum, the Air Force, Falcons. Troy Calhoun's been there for 17 seasons. He's been there a really long time. And if you look at just how consistent they've won, they won nine or more games in the regular season over the last three full seasons. That's not including COVID. So 19, 21, and then 22, nine wins in each. 
Last year, they were a favorite coming into the season in every single game. They finished nine and three. So this year, will they be quite as good as they were a year ago? It's kind of hard for me to totally envision that right now. I think the Mountain West is strong. There's question marks, obviously, about Fresno, but I think Fresno's got a good culture and should be pretty good. I think San Diego State's got a chance to be pretty good. I know Boise's got a chance to be pretty good. So when I look at where Air Force is at, I think seven wins is probably about right. I would anticipate them. If I had to rank the three right now as far as quality, it'd be Air Force one, Army two, Navy three. But as we know in the service academies, that thing could flip instantly and those games are going to be close and it depends on who wins close games and the matchups those teams might have. That'll do it for us here at Always College Football. Please continue to like, rate, and subscribe here to the podcast. Wherever you get your podcast is fine. Leave us a five-star rating. Leave us a review. That'd be amazing. And then, of course, subscribe as well. Our numbers are going up like crazy. We want to continue this upward trajectory. We also want to tell everybody that has sent in questions, alwayscollegefootball.gmail.com or to our social media at alwayscfb. Thank you all so much for your input. It's really been helpful for us to be able to interact and know exactly where you guys stand, what you guys want to learn about, because ultimately the show's not for us. It's for y'all. So please continue to check back with us every single week, not just leading up to the college football season, but throughout the college football season. We have a lot to look forward to here in the next four months or so. For all of us here at Always College Football, for Mark, Jake, Jack, I'm Greg. We hope you have a wonderful day. And remember, it's Always College Football. Hey guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts.